Mr. Pete Smithson, thank you very much for talking to me today. It's a uh, doctor. Dr. Pete Smithson. <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting about that. I'm sorry. Um, doc, Dr. Okay. Smithson, um, how are you today? I'm good. That's like the only time I can use anything that I got out of 12 years at university. So <laughs> I have to use it every now and then when people say Mr. I'm like, <laughs> but it, it must be like super satisfying if you go to one of those like web forms and you have to choose, you know, Mr. Mrs. And you do a doctor. I feel like I shouldn't. I feel like I shouldn't. I'm always like, are they going to be, you know, is it going to come up and it'll be a legal thing? And they'll be like, well, technically, you know, you're not a doctor, doctor. So I'm always just like, Mr. Whatever. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I saw, a, I saw a thing on, on, on Twitter where there was this, um, there was this, this, this woman and she said that she ran into an ex, an ex-boyfriend and the ex-boyfriend said, uh, I haven't seen you in ages. Is it, um, is it miss or missus? <laughs> he replied actually it's doctor right boom boom right but then but then and i and i was like boom but then everyone on twitter was like he still likes you he was trying to find out if you're single you idiot yeah <laughs> all of that knowledge and you've lost all of the common sense yeah. <laughs> exactly um yeah, so well uh, the the reason we're, we're chatting is because um the other day um mm -hmm. We, we were talking on, um, on, on Facebook and, and you mentioned that you're thinking about uh, developing this course for people so that they can actually use the English that they have right now, but also at the same time improve their English, but basically immediately. Well, I'll get the book so that I can actually reference it properly because I fell in love. I fell in love with this guy. So this guy's name is Boris Schechtman. I think he's a Russian guy, but he has a Jewish name. So for anyone watching, here's the, here's the book. Okay. But, um, it's called how to improve your foreign language immediately. It's a very short read, but it's amazing. Um, it blew my mind because I saw, I obviously was cruising around on Amazon looking for books about language learning and how to I don't know. I get pretty sick of, and I've got a few books up here on language learning, but a lot of them are always like, you know, these are the kinds of dictionaries you should use and make sure that you speak to people. Don't, don't just spend all your time on it. It's like obvious stuff, but it's yeah. never, it never seems like actionable information that you uh -huh. can be like, well, what can I actually go out there and do to improve the way in which I speak? It's always about it seems like it's always aimed at basic, you know, this is how to learn a language, not how to use it. But this guy is really good because he worked for the FSI. I think it's like the foreign or FIS. Yeah, foreign the Foreign Services Institute. Yeah. Foreign Services Institute in America training up diplomats, diplomats to speak Russian. So, and they had to speak like at a native level, if not higher, I think, you know, about very complicated stuff. So, oh. you know, it was um, no holds barred language teaching, but the book, at least this one, which I sort of want to send to the course on the idea that I had was all of these sort of small ideas that are implementable straight away immediately that you could, you know, learn now, watch a small video, read the book, go outside and use and immediately improve your language. So I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Anyway, one of the things in there, I guess, was I think, and this is one of those things we were talking about yesterday or the day before was um, that he, his first rule here is show your stuff, which is effectively, if you're in a conversation with someone, you know, if I were to say to you, how are you going, Christian? What are you going to say back? Well, um, <laughs> I would probably say, yeah, yeah, fine. How are you? 
Exactly. So at least it goes back and forth, but you're not going to just say good, right? Like it's yeah. going to be a good. You, yeah. So I think a lot of people focus on that. I need to respond and they give you the, the sort of the smallest amount possible to get like a pass, you know, like in a test, it's like, I, well, I put an answer in the box and he was saying that you need to change at least with that sort of um, rule, show your stuff. It was more um, show what you're capable of. So you would, instead of just saying something like, you know, how's it going? Yeah, good. And you, you would say something, yeah, I've been great recently. I've been doing this and I've started doing this and my day was like this, or, you know, you would go down a bunch of different alleys, you know, talk about a bunch of different things and then throw it back so that the, the speaker, it's kind of like a fight, right? Or it's almost like a, a dance together where it's equal parts. It's not just one person dominates and the other person gets, you know, the submissive, the submissive position, right? Yeah, I, I actually, I love that because, because as you say, this is a technique that doesn't require any new knowledge or any study. It's more of a, um, like a mindset. Um, exactly. And in fact, I've, I've, I've used this technique myself, but only in a very specific way. I used it when, um, for, for exam preparation, because what can happen in an exam is, because for example, in a lot of exams, there's, there's parts where they have to speak with a partner. Mm -hmm. And and what can happen is if you have a, a partner with a very dominant personality or with yes. a very high level of English, they can take over this whole section of the exam. And so you, you're left basically saying nothing, right? Yeah. And so I always encourage people, you know, if, when you're in the exam and they say, how are you? You just launch into it. A big monologue, you know, uh, let them tell you to stop you know exactly uh, well that's i had to remember that i remember doing my french exam back in year 12 and i was i was crapping myself you know because i was like oh my god there's going to be two french natives sitting across the desk interviewing me effectively about different things in french and i have no idea what it's going to be about but it was always that just prepare to have you know they're going to ask you about you you know generally <laughs> they're not just going to what do you think of nasa you know <laughs> it's just going to be something like tell us about your family yeah you know exactly. And so you just have to have things prepared. And this is sort of a few of those other rules in here are sort of like build your islands, which was develop these sort of islands of um, subject material that you want to talk about or that you would talk about in your native language. So like your family or your job or your hobbies, develop those so that you're sort of prepared when you meet people and you have a conversation with them and they obviously want to get to know you and say, you know, what do you do? And you're not sitting there crapping yourself like I've forgotten how to use the present tense and you don't have to think about it because you've gone away, you've practiced, you know, I do this as a job, I go seven days a week and blah, blah, blah. You have a whole lot of information that you can just spurt out. And what we were talking about, I think when the light bulb went off for you, or at least I think I saw it in the in your eyes was yeah. when it all of these sorts of rules kind of tie really in deeply with confidence and building confidence, right? Because mm -hmm. it's kind of like, we get asked a lot, I assume you get asked a lot, how do I speak more confidently? How do I be more confident with my English? And it's kind of like, you can't really just practice confidence in and of itself, right? Yeah. It's kind of like, you have to practice these kinds of things to be prepared, say, build your islands, you know, be prepared, know what you can talk about about you so that when you speak, it's not so much that you're confident, it's that you know what you're doing and you're not nervous because you have to think and make it up on the spot. And so it's more... I don't think it's confidence of being prepared, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and another thing that's that's really interesting for me is is how some of these concepts tie into 
maybe some of the science about the way that maybe children learn languages because yeah like it seems that you know rather than this idea that that children or even adults sort of learn languages by sort of memorizing like categories of words like verbs or nouns or or or, or you know maybe um you know memorizing how to how to conjugate a verb by adding ed for the past yeah it seems like children and, and and maybe even adults could learn best by learning things in these big kind of chunks and and it's interesting how these island this island theory fits in with that it's like you have this pre-prepared kind of like stuff that's just there ready to go um so well, I, think, I think i think it makes sense it ties in with the pareto principle right the 80 20 rule of you know when when you learn the 20%, the most common 20% of the English language is going to be used 80% of the time by people, right? And the other 80% is used only 20% of the time. So you need to spend 80% of your time effectively focusing on that 20% because you're going to be using it 80% of the time. So I think it's that sort of thing where you need to not get distracted by all these unknown words in English or unknown grammar patterns and really spend your time where it's most efficiently used because you're you know, studying the things that you're going to be using most of the time, because there's no point in being able to nail, you know, the, the past perfect tense in if clauses or something, if you're never going to say it, or at least, you know, it's so uncommon that even if you screw it up, it's going to be so rare that people aren't going to, it's not a big deal in your day, right? But being able to talk about your family or being able to use the present tense, you know, those sorts of things, it's kind of like, well, you're going to be talking about them probably every other day with someone, right? Yeah, so, yeah exactly. And, and, and in fact, I wonder if, if really it's more extreme than the Pareto principle. I wonder actually if it's more like 5%, 95%. I guess it would de depend on how many words you say is in English, right? Because <laughs> that yeah, tail I mean, end is probably... <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there, there's so many estimates about how many words in total there are. But yeah. if you take an estimate, let's say, and this is an extreme estimate, but let's say there's a million words in English you know, and a huge percent of those are archaic or scientific or medical, you know, kind of vocabulary. Um, you know, if you, if you look at like, they estimate that a, that a well-educated college student knows 40,000 words yeah. and like a normal person like you or me, we know about 20,000 words. <laughs> I'd probably be, be less than Doctor. that. But... <laughs> Doctor. No. So, so if you, if you think that the total, the total could be a million and, and, you know, we know 20,000, but a lot of that's passive vocabulary, maybe on a day-to-day -day yeah. basis, we're only using say 5,000. Well, not really a lot, is it? Anecdotally, when I do my podcasts more recently, um, I've been taking the transcripts from my podcasts and we spoke about this and running it through a program to look at the complexity of uh, the word uses. So I guess it looks at the frequency of the word. So oh, really, if, I didn't know about this. Yeah, I was asking you, remember about the, um, if it's better to use the CELTA, is it like, what, oh. what's it called? The CELF um, measurement, this A1, A2, or yep, if it was that yep. uh, the other version that- um, The Lexile uh, level. Yeah, the Lexile one. And so what I was doing was running through all of my transcripts, because I wanted to see like, vocabulary wise, where are they landing? in yeah. terms of difficulty and it was really interesting because i kind of had a whole spread from about a2 all the way to c2 but the ones that ended up being the most quote unquote 
simple, you know, for beginners yeah. um, were the sporadic conversations where I was say, just talking about my day or something in a podcast, or maybe even some of the interviews, which were 40 minutes long. When I was just talking with my wife about our child, having our child for the first time, it came up as a level of like B2 or B1 or something, because wow. obviously the, the vocab we're using in those sorts of conversations one-on-one is much simpler. But when I ran, when I ran the scripts that I'd written, pre-written <laughs> about certain topics through the machine, I was getting C1, C2. And so well, that's, that's really interesting. And I wonder, you know, my, my immediate thought is that, you know, we know that there's, there's a big difference between, between writing and, and speaking, you know, the, yeah. the language you use. And maybe, you know, when you sit down to write a script, you switch into this, you know, this language mode that's, that's for you, you know, much more advanced. A hundred percent. And because I'm writing them for the podcast, I'm always thinking about how do I use more complicated language in terms of, say, synonyms for words that are rarer so that the listeners get exposure to them? Because I know that I'm not just pulling out, you know, certain expressions or even complicated synonyms, you know, superfluous, a word like that or something I'm not just going to really use without sitting there and thinking about it yeah. um, in a conversation. But when I'm writing a transcript out, I can do that and then give the listeners a bit of more complicated language to, to go away and study. And so that was interesting. It was like, when you've got time to think, you can structure things a lot more in, in a way that's much more sophisticated. Uh, and complicated but then when you're just talking one-on-one quite often the sentences are broken the you know the tenses are very simple i bet you if you looked at our thing today it'd all be probably you know the the simple present tense simple past tense and that'd be about it right maybe some perfect tenses in there as well and that's it yeah yeah exactly and i think um well this is this is more of a kind of a philosophical question but you know when like part of my job is is you know, part of my job is to communicate kind of clear messages. Like if I'm teaching a student something, I don't want them to be focused on the form of my language. I don't want them to think, well, yeah. what does that word mean? And what, what does that word mean? I want them to be thinking about what I'm trying to teach them. And, but then, you know, if, so here's the question, if, if, if you have a student and they're only exposed to, to, you know, my sort of limited vocabulary, how, how does that prepare them to go out into the real world where people are going to perhaps use words like yeah. superfluous? This is a sort of, this is a struggle, that's, right? That's where you have to mix it up, right? And mm-hmm. it, it is funny because I noticed with some English teachers on say YouTube, they, it, it's almost like as soon as they get in front of the camera, they speak differently from when I say speak to them in private and you'll hear them use slang or use. And so I've had to think quite often, especially with doing podcasts, how much do I script it? Because as soon as I do that, it's changing the way in which the language would be used in terms of um, conversational everyday English, which is what they're going to run into most of the time. And I'm not really trying to prepare them for, you know, having a really, really wide vocabulary to pass an exam, I want to give them access to the English that's spoken every day in terms of listening comprehension so that they can be better prepared for that. So it is, it is difficult though, because you're like, I want, to st- I want to dumb it down a bit, but at the same time, if they only get used to that level, they're going to be disappointed when they arrive in Australia, for example, and yeah. be like, holy crap, no one speaks slowly like Pete. He was too <laughs> easy to understand. And I get complaints like that. Sometimes 
I'll be, I'll be making these episodes and I'm not even thinking about it. And I'll listen back because I'll get complaints. It's too easy to understand you. You speak too slowly. And I'll be like, what the hell are you talking about? I go and listen. And I'm like, man, you've probably been listening to 600 episodes of my podcast. You're just used to my accent. I'm not dumbing it down. It's just, that's just how I speak. <laughs> no, listen, um, even my own family, you know, they say to me, Christian, why are you talking to me like I'm an idiot? I, I, can, I, can, I can understand English. And, and I say to them, well, you know, th this is how I speak. Like if we, if we went to the pub and had drinks, yeah. I would speak exactly like this. Like yeah. maybe I'm just accustomed to it. But th th there was something which I read recently, which was very scary, is that they, they, they did some research about native English speaking teachers who had been in Spain for only one year, one yeah. year, and after one year, they had these English teachers had already started to use kind of Spanish constructions with English words, yeah. changing the way that they um, that they spoke to to kind of accommodate the, the Spanish learners. That screws me up all the time now, <laughs> and it's not it's not a. I don't think it's necessarily that accommodation idea there with. For instance, I speak Portuguese probably 90% of the time now okay. with, with Kel in the house. So I've made that rule a year ago, just Portuguese. Okay. I want to get as good as possible so that when Noah's growing up, he'll speak Portuguese and there's no one else around. And for my own sake, I'm just being selfish. Awesome. But now whenever I speak English around our my parents or you know whatever, quite often I have the structures in my head for Portuguese and I'll just blurt out the English version of it and just be like... You know, that's, that's not, that's not an expression in English or like, for example, I mean, it'd be the same in Spanish, right? You know how they say like, um, all the two, that was French. They say tout le deux for like, um, both. Right. So sometimes I remember spurting that out. Yeah, I'll have all the two. And the people just go, all the what? And I'm like, uh, it's gone deep. <laughs> and so I would love to know more about like cognitively what's going on there because interestingly too, and you'll probably know more about this than me, but when I speak, I spoke French fluently before I learned any Portuguese and then I dropped French and started doing Portuguese full time. So now when I try and speak French, Portuguese is inserted anywhere. I can't think of the word fast enough in French but I can think of it in Portuguese even before I think of it in English. So English doesn't get like English doesn't taint the, the well, the waters, it doesn't interrupt anything. But Portuguese seems to be this like big brother that's like beating up his little brother constantly when I try and speak French now. So I'd love to know in terms of like what's going on in my head. Like, is there, is there a certain area where second languages all get put and then they kind of have to like fight for space, right? It's, no, it's, it's more, um, it's it's actually more more about suppression, like yeah. The, it, it, That's right. I remember your video with the balls right. Yeah, the exactly. So so people think it's the opposite. People think that what the brain is doing is trying to bring up, for example, it's trying <laughs> to bring up the the Brazilian or bring up the French. But it's yeah. the opposite. Your brain is actually trying to push down your English and push down your 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 yeah. French so that the Brazilian can, and and so that's what it has problems with because um you know you have to remember that that the brain is is just a machine like for making connections and yeah the most powerful thing that the brain can do is repeat and stuff a lot another funny thing is that and i remember re i can't remember where i heard it but um a reason people with dementia end up swearing a lot is because apparently that's much deeper in the the brain in the hippocampus so i think the area in the brain that stores those kind of emotional 
like you know you stub your foot and you're like shit you know it's it's like a reaction more than a, a thought and a sentence apparently people with dementia whose brains um you know they lose the the ability to speak english fluently but they still have those reactions where all of a sudden you know they, they'll bump their toe or something and say shit <laughs> and i think i have the same thing with um what would you call them? Words like, well, like, you know. Uh -huh. So sometimes when I'm speaking in Portuguese to Kel, I'll be saying something like, que tá fazendo hoje? Porque eu tô achando que, like, uh, and I'll be like, <laughs> like, why did I just, I know the word, chipu, chipu is what they say for like, like, yeah. like, but I use the English tick for some reason and it just pops in there. So well, I think, I think they're, they're two separate things. So um, yeah. the reason, the reason that those, the, the dementia patients would, would sort of continue to have that vocabulary is because, um, we tend to, that the words that we learn first in our lives are the words that yeah. are really deep in there. So, you know, the reality is that children <laughs> hear their parents saying shit, you know, damn, and they're never going to forget <laughs> and they never forget. So those, those kind of first thousand words are like, they become part of your, your neurology almost. And yeah. But, but the second thing I think is that all of those kind of um, those like discourse markers and mm -hmm. and those kind of the the the, the feedback that, that we give when in we're in conversation like yeah. Owen that that's it's Even like the um sound right that um I I think I've noticed that with Spanish speakers and I have to quite often tell them guys or, or sort that out straight away because it's very jarring to use the vowel sound e, e when you when you're speaking English you know you'll be like I was doing this the other day e and it'll be like whoa 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 what what was that <laughs> get used to the ah uh. <laughs> yeah it's totally sub totally automatic yeah, right it takes a yeah. long time right yeah like even even now if I'm if I'm walking down the street and mm -hmm. I'm sort of maybe on my phone or I'm I'm, you know, I'm distracted. If I, if I see someone I know, that my I go hey, and I'm like no, no, wait, no, it's Allah, because it's just it's totally automatic. Even after ten years here, yeah, I've had that a few times too, where I've walked out and I'll hear my mum enter in and I'll hear the in the other room and I'll be like oh that's mum's you know cadence of her voice. She's here. She's here to see Noah and Keller be talking to her and I'll walk out and be like hey, to the being my like how's it going, mum? And she'll be like what and i didn't even know and i'd be like why what 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 happened she's like you said it in portuguese and i'll be like oh my god so it is it is so interesting what, what the interplay in the between languages right in, inside the brain yeah exactly but if you were to if you were to become a professional interpreter after after like a couple of years you would switch so easily with no interference because yeah. you just get better at it you know well, it's just time on the mat, right? We used to say that with jujitsu. The the more time spent doing something is you just get so good at it, right? Yeah, so, exactly. and and well, um, so so and, and this sort of brings us back to that whole kind of thing about there. You're you're exactly right. There's so many books, and you know where where the answers seem very obvious. You know, need to practice, need to read more, etc. But there's there's not very much in the way of practical things so so that's yeah. why i think this 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 stuff from the from the fsi guys really really interesting um, yeah well hopefully we're going to develop it into a course and yeah. create something because it seemed like i think you and i have both been talking about it for a while there's a lot of stuff online that that you know it's very Shit. how would you put it sorry <laughs> shit shit terrible <laughs> well there's a lot of stuff out there where it's 
it doesn't lead to dramatic change immediately, I would say, right? Like it's almost, and I find this even with my own content at times, I'm like, oh, I've got a lot in here, but I need to also show people how to get the most out of it, how to get the, the you know, pull the best out of it. And so I think with these sorts of things, when people ask me about confidence and fluency and speaking, it seems like you don't need to necessarily learn more English to improve those things. It's more about um, improving how you have conversations. So it is interesting how it's more of a psychological thing and a behavioral thing mm. than necessarily an English coach or English teacher. You know, I'll give you one lesson about this phrase or this um, tense and you'll be fine speaking in public or whatever. Yeah, look, exactly. And I think, I think there's a lesson for, for students as well, right? It's like, you know, ask, ask yourself, you know, when you watch these videos that are like, you know, uh, top 10 words you need in business or, you know, um, 10 different ways to say goodbye, you know, after watching that video, does, does that really kind of help you to do anything <laughs> really? It's entertainment, that? right? Like it's, you don't, you don't necessarily watch, um, I don't know, like the walking dead to, to learn about science or medicine, right? You kind of watch it because it's a laugh and it's good fun. And I, that's the battle I have a lot of the time with um, YouTube videos. I'm like, I kind of need to make something that people are going to click on and enjoy watching, but then get sucked in for the long term and are going to end up putting in the time to improve their, their language, right? And so there's yeah. that, that fine line between entertainment and education. And it's- Yeah, it's, it's really right. tough. It's really tough. Yeah. I mean, how can you- how can you take something that's so big, like like learning a language, and also that's really hard? How can you make it entertaining? And 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 in fact, I know that there's lots of um, you know teachers out there who would say, well, you know, it's not entertaining. Um, and yeah. you know, when if if you give people the idea that learning should always be fun, then then it's that's not good either. I was reading a book um, today. In fact, I will pull it up so that I don't screw up this guy's name. And I don't know. Can I swear? Um, I think so. Um, so the book is called Everything is Fucked by oh, yeah. Mark, Mark Manson. So he's the guy who wrote um, How to Stop Giving a Shit. Uh, okay. that that My book. sister read that book. She said it was really good. It is. He's a really good writer. This one, Everything is you know, fucked yeah, is, is about, is about hope. And, okay. um, he had a big section. I just finished it today, listening to audio audible whilst out walking. He had a big section about happiness and how he thinks, you know, it's oversold and that we we're never, no one's ever truly going to be happy because we are just, mm -hmm. there were some, there were some really good nuggets in there. And one of them was firing a shot at everyone who says, you know, you can get fluent in three months or you can get, you know, you can learn how to, there was, he was, he was targeting someone who learnt a few chess moves and ended up beating some high ranked chess guy after a month of playing it and then walked away and was like, yeah, I've done that tick. And he's kind of like, it's the wrong attitude to have, you know, because you've kind of, you've got to be in it for the long haul and the improvement constantly. And the, and the fact that there is pain in there constantly, but that's how you get value out of it, right? Because you keep overcoming these things. But two sort of anecdotes that were interesting from scientific studies that were done, he was talking mm. about in this book, um, there was a blue dot test that, that they did, a study where they had people come in and they had them press a button saying the, the, the dot they're shown on the screen is blue or it's not blue. And they show them, you know, purple and blue dots. Have you, have you heard of this study? No, no. 
So initially, I think they match them at about 50-50 and they show them a thousand of these and they press it. And then after that, they start showing people a range of different color, different shades between the purple and the, the blue and they don't necessarily keep the numbers even. And the funny thing was, even when that happened, they kept trying to even it out, saying that half as many were blue. And then after that, they showed them pictures of people who were happy versus sad. And they did the same thing. They were trying to find a balance there. So half were sad, half were happy. But even in the end, after that, they showed them just happy faces. And they were still trying to adjust it to show that there were unhappy ones. Hmm. And then he said, too, that he had, there was another study that... Um, I think it was back in the eighties or the nineties that people had uh, buzzers. What are they called again? Those things that you put on the, you get texted or something. Oh, pages. pages. Yeah. I never had one. It was before my time, but pages and it, they'd get paged twice a day and have to say how they were feeling, you know, rated out of 10. Yeah. And he was like, no matter what had happened, pretty much everyone said seven. So oh. their, their mother had died and that would be like for a few days, two, two, five, seven. Or they won, they won the lottery and it would be like 10, 9, 5, 7, 7, 7, 7. So the point of that was the, I guess, of the, both these sort of studies was that um, it, you, you end up balancing out, you know, or trying to balance out and find that middle ground. So even if you do say, you know, win the lottery or get fluent in English, it's not, you, you have to stop looking at it like once I finally get there, I'll be happy and everything will be good. Because even if it is, it'll be a very short period of time and then you'll be back to normal, right? The human mind. And that's what keeps us moving forward as human beings. It's almost like we're, we're cursed to never be a 10 out of 10 permanently in terms of happiness. So we keep going for it, right? You have to keep, you've got the carrot in front of you. And so I think that there's a story in there somewhere in that mix of stories for, for working on your fluency in English and knowing that it takes a long time, right? Yeah, um, probably the, the, the story is that, um, is that no matter where your English is, right, if, if your English is really terrible and, you know, you've just started learning English and you can only say basic sentences, yeah. you can still feel like a seven, right? Because it's like <laughs> that initial feeling of it's great, I can go and buy a coffee or whatever. And, and even after you've been learning English for 20 years and you're – and you know you're you're really fluent and you've got a great great pronunciation you'll still feel like a seven because there's yep. certain places where you'll struggle so maybe the takeaway is that you should feel good all the time during the process maybe or at least realize that right and keep aiming to improve and just know that even as you do improve don't wait for a time when you're feeling you know 100 percent bliss right because it's never yeah, going to happen it's probably not going to happen right yeah exactly yeah, exactly. And, and I think it, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, the more you learn, the more you realize how much there is to learn, right? Yeah, the curse of knowledge, right? Or the curse of wisdom. I yeah. find that all the time. Did you have that with Spanish when you first started? And this is another tangent we can go off in. But I always feel like I remember walking into my sister's house recently. And she's like, I don't know how you speak Portuguese like that. I, I'm so horrible at languages. I could never do that. And I'd be like, you're saying that to me in a language fluently. Like, 
Are you like, is the, is the contradiction here just not any more obvious? Like, how are we communicating? It's not sign language. You're using, you know, where you, and that's a language. You're saying this to me in, in English. So you're obviously pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, I think part of that as well is, you know, the, the Australian culture, like most Anglo Saxon cultures, you know, there's no real culture for learning another language. So for most people, yeah. I mean, like when I go visit, when I go to Australia and, you know, people are like, oh, you, you live in Spain, you speak Spanish. Oh my God. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, it's like I won the Nobel prize just cause I can speak, you know, <laughs> a, another language where, whereas bow down to the genius. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, what they don't realize is that most people in the world speak two or three or four languages. You know, we're, yeah. we're the ones that are weird, the monolinguals. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, exactly. Well, to answer your question, um, I remember, I'd been living here for about three months and we were looking for uh, a Spanish teacher and we found this American woman who was teaching Spanish. And so we had a first meeting with her to like plan the classes and how often we'd come to class. And she said to us, she said to us in English, you know, so how's your Spanish right now? And I remember saying to her, man, you know, my, I can't really speak that much, but my vocabulary is excellent. That's what I said to her. <laughs> and, and back then I probably knew how to say like dog and car and barbecue. And, but you yeah. know, for me, it was excellent. So my ignorance was enormous in that respect. Enormous. Well, it feels like that all the time. Kel is always telling me, oh, your Portuguese is so good. And I'm always like, but, you know. <laughs> Or like, what, for a gringo, right? Like, <laughs> just like, no, 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 it's really good. And I'm like, but I constantly am aware self-consciously of where, where my flaws are, what I don't know. Like at the moment I'm reading this book, for example, about um, one of the, the worst jails in Brazil and uh, it had a tragic story. But anyway, I'm going through it and highlighting all the words in it. And I'm like, I, I'm like I, I've read 100 pages and I still haven't hit a page where I don't know a single word. <laughs> But it is funny when you break that down because it's kind of like, to, for me to get to that point statistically, you know, if you would say each page would have what, 500 words on it, mm. that would mean I'd have to have the mastery of something like, you know, 20,000 words in Portuguese, right? Yeah, yeah, and so, exactly. And so, that, yeah, you have to remind yourself how far you've come, right? And yeah, still be exactly. like, right, there's, and a bit, there's a bit to go, but... Well, I'm, I'm curious how many of those words that you've highlighted can you, can you like... Can you guess the meaning from the context? Yeah, well, a lot of them I highlight because I'm unsure. Okay. And so I want, to I want to verify anyway. So I'll try quite often. You, I do like, again, we can talk about how to get vocab out of books. My way is generally um, read a chapter and then read it again and highlight the words you were uncertain about or the expressions or whatever, and then read it again and, and write the definitions under them. But yeah, most of the time, probably 50%, I reckon I can sort of, at least it doesn't disrupt the flow, right? But personally, I'm, it's almost like an OCD thing, an obsessive compulsive disorder thing where I'm like, I need to know every word in a sentence or else I'm going to be like, did I understand it? Am I sure I know what, I, what that was? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I, I think that that, your, that study technique is actually a great combination between combining kind of enjoyment and, and, and learning because, yeah. and, and this is probably the part of learning that isn't the fun part, like reading the chapter and kind of mm -hmm. understanding, you know, 80%, that's good, right? Because you yeah. focus more on the kind of the story. But then comes the kind of the, the, the more unpleasant the part of highlighting <laughs> the words and looking them up. And, but it's necessary, right? Necessary. 
It's like going to the gym. Lifting the weights isn't the fun part. It's, it's walking out of the gym pumped up that's the fun part and it lasts about two minutes, right? <laughs> it's a means but, to an end. But there are sometimes moments, right? Like not, mm. very, not very often there's moments, but there are moments sometimes where maybe you could be out on a run and you just have that moment where you're like, man, this is great. Yeah, definitely. Might just be 30 seconds, but you know. Well, and I think it comes back to this, the book that um, Mark Manson had written here. He was talking about at the end there, that idea of, I guess, like the opposite of trying to do something really quickly and just finding happiness in the moment, or at least, um, you know, being pleased in the moment and just keep, keep chipping away at it, keep working away at it. So I'm not trying to beat myself up over the fact that I still have to look up a bunch of these words, but I'm really enjoying the fact that I can actually just read this book in a foreign language and get the gist of it, you know, really well and just, you know, enjoy that process. So, and that's one thing I know that you love to talk about. It's always follow the fun, right? It's don't make English learning so boring that you don't want to do it. Make it so fun that you can't avoid, but do it right. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think a big part of that is, is, is kind of doing what you're doing. So, you know, you say, well, I want to, I want to read something in English, but I want to read something I'm interested in. So yeah. obviously you, you, you want to know about this, this prism. This is something because you're interested in well, history. So you? a big thing, and I talked about this in a recent video that I'm going to hopefully publish about reading. I, I try and double up now. So with all of the Portuguese books that I have or books in Portuguese, they're Brazilian books. I'm trying to read stuff about Brazilian culture so that I can really get, really squeeze the most out of it. And I think the funny thing is, you know how we say um, squeeze blood out of a rock or, or get blood from a stone? Yeah. I think they say get milk from a stone. <laughs> It'll be like chira leche da duma pedra or something like that. It might be the same in Spanish, but I'm always like, I never thought about that. That's just as stupid as blood, you know? <laughs> it is. And, 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 but that does tell us something about culture because, um, I, if, if and I am a pro, I'm guessing there's similarities here, but if you look at the word like leite, right in in, in Portuguese, yeah. leite probably appears. You gotta say you gotta say, say leite. Ah, oh, leite. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. There are there are some accents where they'll say the t like leite, but most of the time they laugh at those people and they'll say hey, leite, leite. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, the, the leech, I imagine yeah. leech probably appears in quite a lot of idioms and yeah. it's, it's really important in the Brazilian kind of culture, right? Yeah, Can I you think, think so. Of any other idioms that have leech in them? Uh, none that I can probably say on here, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I remember, did you ever watch um, Romancing the Stone, that film with... Um, Jeez, Pete, you know, people are going to think we're really old. Romantic, yeah. come on. Because that, I remember that was in South America, but I think it was in Colombia or something. And so it was Spanish and they were um, going to uh, La Leite de Madre or something like that, which was like mother's milk or something, <laughs> right? It was the name of a river. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I, I, that just came into my mind. I don't know why I thought of that. Good, good movie, good movie. <laughs> well, I haven't seen that in, in a long time, but like in, in Spanish, there's lots of, you know, expressions about, you know, if you say something's really good, you can say it's la leche, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and um, you know, there's other expressions like me cago en la leche, which means, you know, which is something, <laughs> something bad happens. Um, Man, so. the, the funny thing, I don't know what it's like in Spanish, but in Portuguese, they have a lot of rude expressions that they use a lot. 
Mm-hmm. I had no idea about that cultural difference. And I, I even saw some of them. So they have one, I'll tell you. I think it's like, um, I have to look it up to see what the definition is in English. Um, but it's like, it's like dick of galaxies, I think is, is, the, <laughs> is the English translation. It's a peak of those galaxies. And what, and what is it an insult? What, what, what it's, is it? It's when there's a, something full of problems. So it's an explanation full of problems or something. I'm still unsure how to use this, but I remember someone on the news saying, uh, you know, Isue un pico das galaxias. Like this is a dick of galaxies. And just being like, like how do these, it's so funny that these cultures like English, you would never swear on the news. And yet <laughs> on Brazilian TV, this, this, I think he was like a, um, he would have been someone in the government too, just, just ripped it out. And everyone was just like, yeah. <laughs> wow. That, that is, um, that, that is amazing. I mean, um, obviously that's been softened over time. It, it obviously can't be offensive. Like, well, it's funny. Point. Well, we have a few of those in English, right? Yeah. Like, like, um, one, the one that springs to mind is in English, you know, we say son of a bitch and mm-hmm. that's quite soft. Right. But but actually, in, oh, you don't think of it that way. Yeah, I would imagine. yeah. You it's become son of a bitch. You don't think I'm calling a woman a bitch who's had a child, right? Or I'm saying that to the son of a woman that's had that child. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a horrible thing. thing. Uh, it's a horrible yeah. thing to say, really. But but because now we don't see it as its its individual parts. It's this phrase yeah. which just means yeah. you know something, right? But but in Spanish, the equivalent in Spanish is actually much more offensive than yeah, for it's example the same, it's the same in portuguese people say conyo for everything yeah but in english the equivalent of conyo is is a very highly offensive word so <laughs> you know it depends on on kind of the history of the word and what happens with it and yeah. one uh, did i tell you about i think i might have lent it to my dad but i read a book that was the history of swearing and oh, how much okay. that's changed through time and it was really eye-opening to see how the ancient or the Romans, the Romans swore at one another because their society was based much more around dominance and submission, whether it was between men and women or men and other men. Um, there was much more of a, if you're the dominator, you know, you're good. And if you're the submissive person, you're not so good. And so, especially in a male on male relationship, one person's the dominant one and one person isn't. And so they would usually talk about actions around the, the submissive man's behavior with the other man as being really offensive, but we wouldn't use them as much in English. You would never have those kinds of, um, I mean, you, you might, but they're, they're not as strong as I think they were back then because they would never use these words about body parts or even, you know, the, the different words we have in English, like fuck and shit, because they would see that all the time and it wasn't taboo. Right. Uh, so they yeah. didn't, they didn't give a shit about those things, but ironically it changed. I think once you go through the middle ages and it was all about religion and that's where we had things like um, bloody hell and God's blood. And, you know, a- anytime you said something about God, they believed at the time that it forced him to look at you. And so you were using his name in vain and getting his attention for nothing. And that was why it was really bad to do that. Much worse than saying shit or fuck or, you know, whatever. And then eventually, once we got out of the religious thing and went through the enlightenment, we worked out people stopped pissing in the streets. They stopped having sex in public. 
and that became a very private thing. And so that's why those words in English and probably many other languages became really, really much stronger because all of a sudden you didn't see different body parts or, you know, people peeing or pooing in the streets and stuff like that. So it was really interesting to see how it's all relative and it changes. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it, it is fascinating. And, and, and again, this, this gets back to sort of what you were saying before about how understanding swearing, the history of swearing and, and what, where swearing is now tells us about like the history of the world and about different cultures. And yeah. I mean, <laughs> cause I grew up watching Seinfeld and I grew up watching lots of kind of Jewish, Jewish comedy and, you know, in Jewish comedy, they have, um, they, have, well, there's lots of Jewish or well, Yiddish words that are yeah. really American kind of well, like schmuck or parts, klutz, um, yeah. Uh, schlep you know all of these kind of words and I remember my, my my best friend he got married about 20 years ago and his his um all of his relatives were Russian and but they they were like they were Russian Jews and they they came to he got married in England so they came to England for the wedding and it was we were at like a pre-wedding kind of dinner I think the day before the wedding and so I'm sat with them and I'm like, oh, this is so exciting to meet some Jews. And I said, I know some words in Yiddish. So, uh -oh. You know, I said, you're a schmuck. And they're like their faces just like, like stone. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. And it I'm, ended like, up being much worse in Yiddish than it did so, when it was used in English. <laughs> so the schmuck is like really offensive in, in Yiddish. And parts, yeah. again, highly offensive. And... I didn't know this, you know, because yeah. an American is not offensive, not even a tiny bit. So, yeah. Do you ever meet, um, I guess, students who are learning English, right, who swear and they don't necessarily know the gravity of the way in which they're using those words, right? And that's yeah. part of it. The people who were probably speaking Yiddish, one, if that was their first language and they were using those words in English, it was kind of like a joke, right? Yeah, we can get away with using these horrible words. But two, the people speaking English had no understanding of the gravity of those words and what they meant, right? Yeah, well, I, I can give you a, an example of that. So there's this, there's this band from, from this town and they're these, young, uh, they're these young guys who play the guitar and the lead singer's a woman. And I was, uh, I was in, the, in this local bar having a drink with them and I was saying, oh, how's your band going? You know, is it, um, is it really good? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we just changed the name. And I said, Oh, so what's the name of your band? And they said, it's called The Niggers. Oh, and I was like, excuse me? And they're like, yeah, yeah. So, and, <laughs> but, they, but, they, but they really, because they're here in Spain and, you know, they don't speak English. They have no idea about yeah. all of the, the sort of cultural baggage that, that, that comes with don't that. Try and, don't try and make it in America, guys. Stay exactly. Stay and, you know, and, and I think... Well, I mean, it's a lesson for everybody that, that you know, before... Did they, we, did they know, did they consciously know why, what that word, like, represented, at least? Well, well yes. Well, no, they... they and this, this, is, this is another thing, is that um, we, all, we always must understand the intention behind what people exactly. say, you know, because especially if you're learning a second language, you know, you, you can have the, the words, but you don't understand all the culture behind it. And for them it's a word that they've heard in all of the popular music on the radio. Yeah. I mean, think uh, of how much rap music right now uses yeah. that word 
Yeah. You don't know what it means. You think it's, it's a word like a normal word. It's weird too. I don't know. Do you know the, what would you call that where a, a certain race of people can use a word and another person or another race can't. Yeah. Right. So there's gendered words where quite often men will use certain words. Women won't. Women will call their friends, girlfriends. Guys will never call their friends, boyfriends, unless they're actually their boyfriend. Yeah. You know, and the same with girlfriends, unless it's actually a girlfriend. But that is the only word I can think about or think of that one race can use that word and another race cannot use that word. Right. At least without being in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I think, well, I, I actually asked myself this question a, a few times because it sort of, on the surface, it seems like, a, you know, a very rare situation where, where you say, yeah. well, based on the color of your skin, you can't say that word, but, but you know, you, you, but you can. We should say for, for people listening, it's a pejorative word used in America, at least in the 1800s and earlier, it was used predominantly by white people to demonize and, and really poorly treat black people. So people of color. Um, but nowadays black people have kind of taken the power back and turned, I think, especially in America, they will, because of the pronunciation, right? You got to recognize too. If you say the word N I G G E R with that R said, that's really bad because that's the way that they would pronounce it when they were being pejorative. But if you say it N I G G A, um, that's the way that the black people now say it in music and they refer to each other like mate or guy using that word as well. And it's kind of like they've taken the power out of it, but yeah. you can't use it. No, exactly. Um, and I mean, there, there are some, there are some sort of equivalents, maybe not, maybe not based on skin color. I mean, there are sort of some, like for example, um, in, in reverse, um, black people can use the, the word cracker to describe white people, right? Yeah. Um, and Well, I mean, we could use that to describe other white people, but people would just look at us a bit weird, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's a kind of What's word... What's this cracker that... on about? Like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and... Um, the... Do you want to explain the origin of that word too, just for context? Yeah, I don't, I don't actually know the origin of that word. It's a, the whip, the crack of a whip. Oh, really? Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, because the, the slave, the slave owners would use a whip, you know, and whip black people wow, and so um, they would crack the whip. And so the black people would call them crackers because they're the wow. ones cracking the whip, right? Well, I did not know that. Well, that's, I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, that's unbelievable. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that's sort of an example, but not a, exactly a parallel. But then if you, if you look at, other vocabulary that's been reclaimed by like minority groups like uh if you look at for example homosexual community you know they might call each other things like you know uh, queer or faggot but those words are kind of not when they're used outside of the community they're seen as you know really kind of highly offensive so there's so much interesting stuff going on with those sorts of words too right because especially queer and gay i know before the big gay movement in the 1900s the mid 1900s onwards those words often like queer just meant strange right and it was just quite often used not to refer to gay people at all and gay was used to mean happy like you would i'll read books from time to time now that were written in the 1800s or something and they'll say yeah well, they were having a gay time yeah. and you'd just be like what the ice cream you know <laughs> it's weird and and yet the community kind of took those words and said no they describe us now 
and the deaf, you know, it's, it's one of those things I imagine seeing the graphs of how the word was used and what it meant just overlapping and doing that, right? Like yes. one taking over and yeah, it's, it's, and faggot apparently, and it feels so weird saying that word out loud used to mean what a bundle of sticks. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like um, you would go out and collect faggots, which would be bundles of sticks to burn, to get warmth. And then they started calling the old ladies and old men who went to pick up those sticks faggots. And so it became that kind of a word that was used for people that you didn't like. And I, I don't know, I assume from then on, it just got moved on to different people until it reached gay people. And nowadays, yeah. most people like myself, I would never use those words unless talking about what they mean, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but, but um, it wasn't that long ago that the word, for example, faggot, um, you know, was softer than it is now. And, and so that's, that's sort of a parallel between, between, you know, maybe these words, you know, that, you know, a, a word, um, that's, that is certain groups can use and, and other groups can't, or, or for certain groups, it's offensive and for other groups not. And, but, but again, you know, without, without knowing the culture, you will, you'll never know these things. And yeah. You know that that's why, like like you're saying, it's it's really important for students to 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 have some culture. The one that really got me in Portuguese, and I don't know what it is and what it's like in Spanish, but I'm so used to calling people black, okay. especially because I hear them saying that, or, or people of color, yeah, right. But to say the equivalent of that in Portuguese is like using the N word. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. So if oh. you were to call someone like the color to describe their their skin mm -hmm. that is incredibly offensive that's probably their worst word really when using wow. the word so you're calling someone black literally black the color black in portuguese it's really rude instead you would call them negro and that in english is rude and so that's what like totally screwed up my i was like i would never refer to someone as a negro <laughs> yeah exactly i mean um yeah exactly so i'm curious so so in 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 Portuguese, the word for black is not negro. No, you would say ne you would say negro for the person, and it's fine. Okay, but, but you would never you would never call someone black in terms of the color of their skin. Okay, but but so the so what does the word negro mean in Portuguese apart from apart from the the skin color? Uh, I think it does mean black as well, but the word the general word for black color would be preto preta. Like I remember really? when I was doing, yeah, when I was doing um, jiu-jitsu, you get faixa preta, which is black belt. Um, you wouldn't get negra. And that's where we, in English, we get the word negro from the Brazilians, I believe, the Portuguese, right? Well, I don't, I don't know, but I'm, I'm wondering where this other black word came from because it doesn't mm. sound like any other um, kind of European. I'd have to look it up. I'd have it to look it up. Is there any other European language that has a word like that i mean french is noir not that I could, Spanish yeah is Metro, um interesting i'm not sure off the top of my head yeah but that it is it is interesting it, but it was funny because i had to sort of talking about swearing and culture kind of make those mistakes um and then be corrected and have people understand the intention because obviously i'm not going out there trying to offend black people who speak portuguese yeah exactly it was funny but i was like oh my god i just would have never using English as my base, that is what would have naturally been my assumption hmm. to use, you know, and, and the funny thing too, is they have words like, um, mulatto. 
to describe someone who's of mixed race. Yes. But you would just never, I don't think you would say, you we would never just call them, you know, milk brown or something. We wouldn't just have one word that would describe mixed race, but that's sort of like a description, a literal description. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. In, 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 in English, um, in British English, there, there was actually, and I don't know if you know this, but they actually had specific words to describe like what percentage of yeah. black you had in you. Like, so there was mulattoes. And there was quadroons. A quadroon was a person who had one quarter yeah. black. Yeah. And it's like, and, and sometimes my my father in law. Now now he you know he he grew up. Um, so he was born in the in the nineteen forties. You yeah. know he grew up. You know with 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 this vocabulary that was just culturally normal. You know because back then they didn't that you know you know things like racism and and segregation. Well, maybe not segregation, but you know those things were just acceptable to describe yeah. people based on the percentage of black, you know, they had in them. Um, and, and again, this, so it's not just culture. It's not just culture, you know, as, as an overall thing. It's also how culture can evolve and change over time. Yeah. Like, like, like even now, sometimes my father-in-law will, will say something like, Oh, you know, mulatto. And, you know, it's not that he, again, it's not his intention to be offensive. Yeah. It's just, you know, the habit of a lifetime. So, Well, something happened, I think, recently where someone in America called um, people of color colored people mm. and didn't realize that apparently it had shifted from, from colored people like 10 years ago to now people of color. And they got reamed in the media, you know, this guy's a racist. Yeah. So we have this big problem, at least now in the West, right, with a lot of this, you know, um, identity politics happening where people are no longer giving other people the benefit of the doubt. And just yeah. going for the throat, right? As soon as you you screw up, you say one thing that's wrong. Anyway, I wanted to bring it back before we probably finish up because we've almost been going for an hour. But <laughs> what do you suggest in terms of swearing and teaching swearing? Like, I, as an honest question from me, because I quite often have students that ask me how how should I learn to swear and how should I implement that into my English? Because I hear some people don't swear at all. I hear other people swear in every sentence. What yeah. is your kind of advice to the, that sort of a situation? Um, <laughs> it's, it's funny how this conversation has evolved, actually. <laughs> well, I thought we should bring it back to English learning, right? <laughs> um, I, I, well, t to be honest, I don't think that in 10 years that I've ever done a class about swearing. Yeah. Um, because that's that was one of those things too like we were talking about earlier with uh changing how you speak and not preparing them for the real world i feel like avoiding swearing is dishonest because like the conversation we're having currently the pro the density of swear words is probably about about right what i have with most people that i'm friends with yeah. you know i'll say shit and fuck and you know in context and the intention can be seen that i'm not offending people directly yeah. but i feel like my content probably doesn't genuinely represent the amount of swearing that actually occurs in english especially in conversations right so what do you think the the best way of students learning how to how to swear is is it just exposure or should they go out of their way to try and make close fr friends and and then just bounce things off them which is what i do with portuguese and and, and my wife kel i'm always like oh i found this word you know so can i say this <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I think I think the reason that, that I've never taught it is is probably two reasons. I think if if you have a kind of intermediate level of English and you know you're sort of 
making conversation and that. I think, I think the problem with swearing is that it's very easy to either cause offense or yeah. to use it in the wrong way. And so it's, it's a bit, you know, it's, it's, it's a really complicated Thing. It's almost like sex ed, right? Do you remember mm. getting sex ed at school? It's sex education at school, right? Where you get taught by the teacher, you know, this is a penis, this is a vagina, use a condom, don't get girls pregnant. And you would, it would be avoided. They wouldn't talk about it, right? It would be very taboo for a very long time until you're, you know, 13 or 14 years old or whatever, by which time it could be late for some people. So it didn't help a lot of people. And so it's the same sort of situation. You're kind of like, how early do we get them? You know, how, how soon do we teach them these things that uh, once we sh we've opened Pandora's box, like, guys, know that these swear words exist. Don't use them. It's kind of like, guys, this is how you have sex. Don't have sex. Well, well, it, it, exactly. And, 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 and in fact, sex education class is an example of how swearing, how complicated swearing is, especially in, in, in you know, in when we're talking about those kind of things, because it, it also depends on your, you know, your specific situation. So yeah. if you go to see a doctor, he's going to talk to you about your penis. How the fuck are you? <laughs> well, exactly. But also <laughs> exactly, a doctor would not say that, right? It has to be appropriate for, for the environment. And, and a doctor will tell you, you know, you have a problem with your penis, right? You're not yes. going to go exactly. You're not going to go to the doctor and he's going to say, Hey, how the fuck are you? You, you, you know, you've got a problem with your cock. You know, it doesn't... Your dick's busted. Your, your dick, dick is busted. You know, just... <laughs> so, so, you know, uh, so that, I think that's why, um, you know, swearing, I don't know, it's... But do you trust, would you trust someone who doesn't swear in English as a close friend? <laughs> Look, I think, I think we all do it. I think it's... I was waiting we all, for you to we say, all do fuck it. no. <laughs> I think I think it's a it's a powerful tool, um, and yep. you know, people because it, you, you, I'm sure that you know people, and every in every single sentence they they have a, a they have a swear word, and the amazing f word expletive right is just used so artistically. You yeah, know, exactly, it's, it's, and, and I think it, on every meal because <laughs> because you have to remember as well that you know that that it's not just about output. You have to remember how other people perceive you, and yep. you know. Uh, People. And it loses its strength. If you use it all the time, it no longer has its power. You have to yeah, use exactly. it when it's appropriate. You know, someone accidentally cut your foot off. You can say, you know, ah, fuck, someone cut my foot off. And it means a little more than, ah, someone cut my foot off. You know, like it's, it adds that kind of urgency, right? But if you swear all the time, you lose that. <laughs> it does. I mean, maybe, I mean, I, I've certainly said to my wife before, I was like, oh, you know, having a conversation with that guy, he's like, you know, fuck this and fuck that. And, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's a bit like nails on a blackboard, you know, if it's just too much. So well, it, it's a, what would you call it? Like it doesn't compute, right? Cause you're kind of like, you're using this language that's very emotional and severe, but you're talking about what you had for lunch. And it's exactly. like, I don't get it. Like, am I angry? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think, I think that's something that learners should realize is that, you know, uh, very, it should be very moderately used, and yeah. and before you just go into the dictionary and look up a word, make sure you really understand, um, you know, everything that comes with it. Because as we've talked about, there can be lots of cultural things or or things related to maybe gender or sexuality. Yeah. You know, so there it could you know you could easily offend a lot of people.
But I think, yeah, find someone that you're close with and just ask them quite often, right? Yeah. Especially to if it's something you are thinking of using, make sure that you, the way in which you use it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, well, this, um, uh, we, we started off talking about, um, about islands and, and pre-prepared speech and we, yeah, diverged, it, uh, yeah, it was, diverged. it was, it was an interesting chat. I hope it was, it was, um, inter intellectual at the start and funny at the end. But I, have, I have one more story for you before we finish up. Okay. And this is this is one for those of you who are worried about pronunciation. It's a never-ending battle. Okay, you just have to keep going. You have to keep working on it. It doesn't stop, right? It's not something you need to obsess over. But I would say keep working on your pronunciation, especially vowels, especially vowels. And so I remember working in my um, Spanish restaurant when I was doing my PhD, and my manager was Thai. And I remember saying to her one day, um, two, can I go to the toilet? Can I have a break? Everyone's fine. All the tables are set. Everything's good. Can I just quickly five minutes? And she said, no, you cunt. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, and everyone in the restaurant just stopped and was just like, what, <laughs> what just happened? Right. Cause obviously there's a big difference between saying that no, you cunt and no, you can't. Right. So I had to pull two aside that day and be like, we're going to have to work on your pronunciation. <laughs> we can't have that happen again. And I remember I was just saying, what, 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 why did you just call me that? And she's like, you can't do that. And I was like, ah, I got you. I got you. <laughs> yeah. You really, um, really open that mouth. Okay. Like you're at the dentist. Ah, prolonged vowel. Can't. <laughs> anyway, thanks for having me on Christian. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, no, it was awesome chat. And um, well, we, we should do this more regularly anyway. Yeah, for sure. For shizzle and nizzle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care, my man. All, All right. right.